0: are my business, and that's especially true at Halloween, even though I, like most of you, I'm just as fascinated with hauntings, the supernatural, true crime, and horror all year round. But there's something special about the Halloween season. When the days start getting shorter, the nights longer, the air just a little chillier, and the veil between the two worlds starts to get a little thinner. This year, to celebrate what may be the scariest Halloween we've ever seen, and not because of ghosts, we're offering a number of bonus episodes for the American Hauntings podcast that just didn't quite fit into the regular haunted Hollywood season. In this episode, I wanted to introduce you to two of the characters who have been frequently mentioned already this season and give them a short episode all their own. Their names are Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford. And this will not only serve as a better introduction to these two Hollywood pioneers, but will also take a look at the ghost stories connected to their legendary home known as Pickfair. I hope you enjoy it. Douglas Fairbanks, the man who would bring movie adventure to countless numbers of fans during the early days of Hollywood, was born Douglas Elton Ullman in Denver, Colorado in 1883. He began acting in amateur theater productions when he was a teenager, and then moved to New York in 1900 where he began acting on Broadway. He had performed in 18 shows by the summer of 1915 when he moved to Hollywood with his wife and their son, Douglas Jr., who would later become a star in his own right. Once in Southern California, Douglas began working with director D.W. Griffith at Fine Arts Film Company before moving over to Paramount. Within three years, he had a new name, Douglas Fairbanks, and a new career as the most popular male star in the movies. By that time, he had also met and started an affair with America's sweetheart, Mary Pickford. Mary, whose real name was Gladys Smith, was born in Toronto in 1892. She made her first stage appearance at the age of six, and show business became her life. With her mother along as her manager, she toured all over the United States, landing on Broadway starting in 1905. In April of 1909, she was given a screen test by D.W. Griffith at the Biograph Company's New York studio, and the director was impressed. By the end of the year, she'd made more than 50 films for Biograph, making $10 a day, which was more than twice the pay for most actors at the time. The following January, she was sent to Hollywood and began appearing in dozens of biograph shorts. Movie audiences began recognizing her, even though actors didn't receive star billing in those days. But Mary was in such demand that theaters started advertising for her out front. They would put up signs that said the girl with the golden curls or blondie locks was appearing in the film. Her name didn't appear above the title until 1914. Mary eventually moved on from Biograph to Universal and Majestic Film Corporation, who had offered her the amazing sum of $225 a week. She also married fellow actor Owen Moore in 1911. But Mary was soon unhappy, but with her movie contract, and with her husband, she took a pay cut to come back to Biograph and make better quality films, but didn't stay there for long. She joined Adolf Zucker's new film company, Famous Players, which later became Paramount. Incredibly popular and an excellent businesswoman, Mary took over production of her own films and was making $10,000 a week when she met Douglas Fairbanks in 1916. Their friendship turned into an affair, and they began spending more time together than at home. In 1917, they went off on a nationwide rail tour to sell war bonds with Charlie Chaplin. And it was during these travels that the three of them compared notes and decided that the established studios were stifling them, both creatively and financially. So in February 1919, the three of them, along with D.W. Griffith, started their own studio. United Artists. They now had complete control over their films and their distribution. Meanwhile, the romance between Doug and Mary continued. Although worried about how their fans might react, both actors divorced their spouses. Just 26 days after Mary's divorce was final in March 1920, they got married and it turned out they didn't need to worry about what their fans might think. The couple were mobbed with admirers during their honeymoon in Europe and thousands turned out everywhere they went in London and Paris. Their return to the United States was celebrated by both the newspapers and the public. Around this same time Doug purchased about 18 acres on Summit Drive in LA's Benedict Canyon. The only building on the land at the time was a small hunting lodge. Well, he and Mary renovated and expanded that house into a 22-room mansion, and by combining their names, they called it Pickfair. The expansion of the mock Tudor home had been designed by Wallace Nell, one of the top architects in Los Angeles. It had two wings, one 95 feet long and the other 125 feet long, and both overlooked the canyon. The first floor had a living room, dining room, kitchen, breakfast nook, sun porch, rooms for the staff and a screening room for films. Upstairs were five guest bedrooms and the master suite. The third floor had a billiards room and a bowling alley. And it wasn't just the house that was amazing. The grounds contained formal gardens, a horse stable, and a crescent-shaped swimming pool, the first private swimming pool in Hollywood, and it cost a fortune. But of course, Doug and Mary could afford it. Some of Mary's films had grossed more than a million dollars and she was probably the most famous woman in the world at the time. And Doug continued to star in wildly successful historical dramas, which showed off his talents as the first great swashbuckler in American films. He made movies like The Mark of Zorro, The Three Musketeers, Robin Hood, Thief of Baghdad, and many others. They loved to entertain in their new home, and it became the scene of some of the most celebrated parties in 1920s Hollywood. And it wasn't just movie people who loved getting an invitation to a pick fair party. Over the years, the guest list included such names as Noel Coward, Jack Dempsey, the boxer, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Amelia Earhart, Albert Einstein, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Charles Lindbergh, Helen Keller, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, and even the Crown Prince of Japan. They were beautiful, they were rich, They were beloved by audience and loved by their peers, too. In 1921, they helped establish the Motion Picture Fund to assist actors in need. In January 1927, they were among 36 founding members of the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences, and Doug was elected as its first president. That same year, they were among the first to place their hands and feet in wet concrete outside of Sid Grauman's Chinese Theater, They were partners in the syndicate that financed the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, and when the Academy Awards were presented in the hotel's Blossom Room in 1929, Doug hosted the event. By that time though, there was trouble in paradise. Mary was getting too old to play the part of young girls that had made her famous. Although her 1929 film Coquette, her first sound movie, had won critical acclaim, her fans never really warmed to her new persona. Her next film, The Taming of the Shrew, the only movie in which she ever co-starred with her husband, was Doug's first talkie, but the novelty just wasn't enough. Audiences stayed away. Mary only made three more films, retiring in 1933. Doug made four more before he hung up his sword in 1934. Meanwhile, he had started an affair with Lady Sylvia Ashley, and when news of this relationship became public, he and Mary split up. They divorced in 1936. Doug later married Lady Ashley, but died of a heart attack in 1939. His health had been failing for years, mostly caused by his heavy smoking. His body eventually ended up at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, where he is entombed today in a massive marble sarcophagus that's befitting for the first action hero of the silver screen. As part of the divorce settlement, Mary received Pickfair, which Wallace Neff, the original architect, remodeled into an English Regency-style manor. She later married actor and band leader Charles Buddy Rogers. She stayed active as a producer, but eventually showed her share of United Artists in 1956. In her remaining years, she became more and more of a recluse, no longer throwing parties and entertaining friends, and rarely left Pickfair. In 1976, when she won an honorary Academy Award, she filmed her acceptance speech at home in advance of the ceremony. Mary died of a cerebral hemorrhage in 1979 and was buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale. Buddy Rogers remained living at Pickfair after Mary's death, uh, for a little while at least. He quickly discovered what Doug, Mary, and many of their friends already knew, that Pickfair was haunted. Over the years, while Doug and Mary lived in the house, friends who stayed with them often reported seeing the hazy figure of a woman wandering about the house, often in the daytime, but usually at night. The couple had both seen the Phantom four times themselves, and many of their friends had witnessed her appearance on multiple occasions. News of the ghost spread, and a story appeared in the gossip pages claiming that the spirit was that of a former maid who had been shot in the house. It wasn't true, but it made good copy. Mary disputed the story whenever she could. She would have known if anyone, she said, especially one of her employees, had died in the house. Nevertheless, this story persisted, and it's still sometimes told today. No one knows for sure exactly when Buddy Rogers saw the first ghost in the house, but we do know when he saw the second one. It was just a few weeks before he moved out of Pickfair. This second ghost, he claimed, was spotted descending the staircase wearing a white ruffled gown. When she reached the first floor, she turned toward the living room, and that's when Buddy got a good look at her face. The ghost was Mary Pickford. Soon after, Buddy moved into a smaller home, and the Pickfair property was divided and put on the market. The house remained vacant until Dr. Jerry Buss, the longtime owner of the L.A. Lakers, bought it in late 1980. According to the stories, the hauntings didn't just continue during the years that followed, they increased. In addition to seeing the woman in white, who may or may not have been Mary Pickford, some guests spotted a man in the entrance hall they thought looked a lot like Douglas Fairbanks. At least one other specter was also seen in the hallway from time to time, an apparition that carried around sheet music. A ghostly maid was also spotted in some of the guest rooms. In 1988, businessman Mesulam Rickless and his wife, the horrible wannabe actress Pia Zadora, purchased Pickfair. Two years later, in what many in the Hollywood community considered historic sacrilege, they tore down Doug and Mary's mansion and built a new one in its place. They claimed that Pickfair had been in such terrible condition that repairs and renovations were impossible. We'll never know if that was true, but we do know that when Pickfair was destroyed, the spirits went with it. There have been no more reports of hauntings on the property, and today all that remains of the original estate are the tall wrought iron gates still topped by a large letter P, and the enormous crescent-shaped swimming pool, plus a lot of memories of America's sweetheart and her dashing husband. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode from the American Hauntings podcast for the Halloween season of 2020, the scariest year ever. It was edited and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. Have a happy and haunted Halloween season.